I'm Tim Pennings. I'm at uh, Davenport University. I was at Hope College for uh, 25 years before that. So, uh, so I've had uh, been in the West Michigan area for a good bit of my life, I guess, about half of it. And um, so this talk I'm giving uh, today is one that uh, all emanated from me getting a new good friend of my life, Elvis, back in uh, 2001. He was born in 2000. Uh, I met him uh, when he was about a year old. He was, uh, belonged to a, a friend of my sister's. And when I went to visit her, uh, they told me, uh, we, we, we think we should take Elvis home with you. And I had no thoughts of that. But uh, he jumped up on my lap, and I still have a picture uh, of him up on my lap with four other corgis all looking up at him, and him looking down at them as if, stay away from this guy, he's mine. And just kind of like a, a, you know, an orphanage or something, like, this guy is mine. Uh, keep clear. So anyway, that's when we met. He came home with me, and we were together for uh, 12 years, I guess, 13 years. He died at age 13 after a good life. And in fact, he was written up in USA Today when he died. They actually did a little obituary about the dog who knew calculus died. So uh, I'll, t I'll, give, I'll tell you a little bit more about that story. But uh, we had a good life together when he was around age three. I just said, Elvis, you're you know, getting 21 years age and so on. You should be starting making your own way in the world. And he's, he did. He just started paying his own bills. Got the speaker fees and all that kind of stuff. I got lots of uh, textbooks that his picture was in. The, in, in. Uh, I don't know if any of you know. Um, oh, shoot. What's his name now? Uh, he's the science guy for NPR. I can't say his name now. Uh, no, no, he's the psychology. This guy is more math and, and, and natural sciences. I'll, I'll, I'll find his name up here. But anyway, he gave a talk at uh, a huge math conference. There were like 1,000, 1,500 people there. And uh, so a lot of people came up to him after the talk and were asking questions, and I kind of waited my turn. And finally I got up to him, and he, he had written a, a book on... And one whole chapter was about Elvis. And uh, so I introduced myself, and here are you know, 50 other people around. He goes, oh, you're Tim Pennings. I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. <laughs> and he says, he says, yeah, I, got, you know, I did your biography, and, and all the pictures I had of you and Elvis, you're at the beach, and all of them, you were shirtless at the beach. And you know, what, like, no wonder I didn't recognize you. So anyway, so Elvis and I had all sorts of great adventures together. So here... Here is uh, Elvis and me. I'll start off with this at Lake Town Beach. And just in order to, technology-wise, I'll do it right now and then get it out of the way and then we'll go on to the talk. But this is at Lake Town Beach, which is a wonderful beach. It's wonderful for doing calculus with dogs. It's wonderful. I, every time I'm there, I always say, this is the beach where probably more proposals are done at this beach than anywhere else in Holland because you look out over the sun. Once when I was there, I happened to be under the under the walkway uh, looking for a frisbee and I heard some fellow proposing to a fiance Sarah, I think her name was. This was just a while back and, and someone who might even be in this crowd again. But uh, anyway, um, uh, no, that's kind of a joke. I heard this from his brother beforehand that he proposed to his uh, fiance before. Uh, anyway, it is a great place to, to, uh, to do anything you want at this beach. So uh, here's Elvis. Uh, here's Elvis and me. So let's see if we can get it working now. <coughs> Technology is the only thing that... There we go. Okay. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
the sticks keep getting bigger. Oh, this is the compilation. or so, uh, two to three hundred in, in our years together. Uh, let's see, now, how do I get this uh, up then? Oh, maybe this is it. Oh, I'll let you do it. Do you want to I, I, now, I, now I bring up my PowerPoint. Oh, okay. And there's the PowerPoint right there. This one. Saw a slideshow. Okay. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Uh, can you see the screen okay? I don't know what lights are best there. Is that, is that right enough? Uh, um, so, um, so uh, let's see, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the 10 or 12 years that we were together, he, uh, he came with me all the time. And uh, I would bring him to the talk, and then we would get a big hallway, and I'd bring everyone into a classroom out into the hallway, and he, I'd just throw a tennis ball down the, uh, down the hallway. This is great in schools. I mean, nothing better than a high school with, we have a dog running up and down the hallway, and he'd show how fast he was going after the ball. So the point is, uh, he, he, he wanted to get that ball, as you can see from the video, as quickly as, as he could. So that's his objective. I assume that that's his objective. 
He's trying to minimize the time it takes to get the ball. Now, there could be other things he's trying to optimize. It might be he was trying to optimize, minimize his energy or something like that. But just from the zeal, you could kind of see that he really wasn't interested in minimizing energy. He wouldn't have been twirling around so much if he was. Uh, he was just trying to get to that, to that stick, in this case, as fast as possible. So given that he was, now let's think about it. What, what are the various options, okay? If you didn't put any thought into it at all, and just thought you want to get from A to B in the minimum amount of time, what would be one, one option? Straight line, right? Straight there. It's the shortest distance, certainly, right? So even though it's the shortest distance, why for Elvis was it probably not the shortest time? Swimming takes more time, right? He runs faster than he swims. So he runs faster than he swims, and so since that's the case, another extreme option would be to go all the way to sea and say, okay, let's minimize the amount of time in the water and, uh, and run all the way to the corner and then, and then swim the, the minimum distance. So there's another option. And of course, the third option is to do something kind of in between, right? To, to run part of the way and then to swim the rest, not all the way to the corner. And if you notice from the video, that's exactly what he did. So after... After seeing him do that as a as a calculus professor, how many in here teach calculus? Have or, or okay, so a few of you and others. Okay, that that's all fine. In fact, I, I give this talk all over the place to pre-cal classes and to uh, uh, retirement homes, everything else. They all they all enjoy. Um, but anyway, uh, let's see. So so. Um, uh, he, he's trying to get there in the, in the minimum amount of time, and the question is, how can he do it? And, and when I took calculus, and every time I teach calculus, I, I teach this, uh, this problem, which is similar. I, I always call it a Tarzan-Jane problem, where uh, Tarzan and Jane are somewhere or another, and one of them is sinking in quicksand, and I, it, you know, it used to be years ago when I first started, it was always Jane in the quicksand, and Tarzan that was coming to her aid, and then, you know, as I get a little more accustomed to the time, I kind of alternate back and forth. But anyway, it's a stagnant river, no, no current in the river, but the, whoever is doing the rescuing can, can run faster than they can swim, and so you, you go through the motions and you do all the analysis, and it turns out that the best option is something like that, where they run part of the way and then they, they swim part of the way. And that's exactly what Elvis was doing. So when I saw Elvis doing essentially that same thing, I just thought, wow, I wonder how close he's coming to jumping in at the optimal point. Make sense? So what's the optimal point? What's the place to jump in which will get him there as quickly as possible? So uh, that's what I set out to find. So first, just a bit of calculus, if, uh, if you haven't had it before, if you uh, haven't had it in a while. Calculus basically just allows you to figure out what the slope of a curve is at any point. If you have a straight line, then the slope is just the rise over the run. If you have something that curves like this, what does DJIA stand for, by the way? Yeah, whenever I'm in a group of adults, someone always knows. Dow Jones, whenever I'm with high school students, no one ever knows. But I'm just pretending this is saying the Dow Jones industrial average over the course of a day goes up and down. And so, uh, so the, the slope is, well, I think I have the, the graphic, the, the, uh, the slope at any point is just a tangent line, just like if you're in a car and a car is on a highway, it would be the, 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 the beam, the, 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 the headlights. It would be the line that the headlights take if the car is right there. There's your headlights going off tangent to the curve. So, so uh, that would be uh, 
positive slope there where the graph is increasing, and any place where the graph is decreasing, you have a negative slope. And then one of the most important parts for calculus is that any place where it kind of bottoms out or at the top here, then you have a horizontal line where the slope is what? Is zero, right? So quite often in, in applications of calculus, you, you're trying to find out where is a particular function a maximum or a minimum. So if you can find the derivative, if you can find the slope and set it equal to zero, you can find you can find those places. So uh, that's that's calculus in a nutshell. I heard once that Bertrand Russell, the great mathematician, met uh, Winston Churchill at a party at a social event, and uh, and Russell reported afterwards. He said. Uh, Mr. Churchill asked me to explain calculus to him in two words or less, which I did to his satisfaction. Okay, these two intellects, you can imagine them having fun with each other. Uh, anyways, I'm not sure what those two words were, but uh, there, there's, my, there's my two minute introduction. So, okay, so let's, uh, let's analyze Elvis's situation here. First of all, uh, we will let capital T stand for the amount of time it takes him to get to the ball. Okay, that's the amount of time it takes him to get the ball. That's what we're trying to minimize. And it's going to be a function of y, because that's what he has to choose. I'm, I'm setting off a distance z, that's, that's fixed. And I'm throwing it a distance x into the water, that's fixed. Okay, so I saw a far side cartoon once that says, never say fixed to a dog. But uh, he's not here now. <laughs> so those two things are fixed. Y is the thing that's variable. That's the thing that can change. That's the thing that he has the uh, control over. So it's going to be a function of it's going to be a function of y. So oh uh, well that's fine. Um, so let's figure it out. First of all, how much time does it take him to get from a to d? Um, he's running, and so his running speed is r, and the distance from A to D in terms of those variables would be what? Z, Z minus Y? Everyone agree? So if you have the distance and you have the rate, what do you do with them to find the time? Divide the what? The distance by the, by the rate, right? So again, um, um, that's, uh, it, that's kind of amazing. That's something I used to assume everyone knew, and I, now I usually use an example of I bike to Grand Rapids, which is 30 miles, and I do it in two hours. And so uh, what's my rate? My rate is 15 miles an hour. I use some example like that to try to make it make sense of it. So anyway, there it is, right? There's your distance divided by the rate. So there's, there's the amount of time it takes them to run. Uh, what's the amount of time it takes them to swim? From D to B. What's the distance, first of all? Pythagorean's theorem, right? Square root of, of x squared plus y squared. So there's your distance, and then you divide that by the rate, which is r, and there you have it. Okay? So you add those two together, and that's the amount of time it takes them to get to the ball. Now, here's those, those are all kind of easy questions there. Here's the first one of a little more substance. If, if you were to graph, if you were to graph that function right there, what would it graph into? Here is um, here's his choice of y, and here's the amount of time it takes to get to the ball. What would you expect? 
So here's where y is 0, right there. There's where y is 0. I'm kind of crowded back into the corner here. Uh, this is where he would go all the way to the corner. And then here's where his choice of y increases, so he jumps in before the corner. Let, let's, let me start you out. Suppose that if he ran all the way to the corner, uh, suppose it takes this amount of time to get there. Okay? Just, just intuitively, what would you expect is going to happen to the total time if instead of going all the way to the corner, if he jumps in a little bit before he gets to the corner? Go down a little bit? Uh, will it keep going down forever? Obviously not, right? At some point, it's going to bottom out and it's going to start rising. Why will it start rising? He's, he's spending too much time swimming. Agreed? So it's a nice problem. And this is, oh, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you just the way I would be teaching high school students because this is the kind of thing you can, you can if, as you want to, I'm giving you the talk, you can do whatever you want in, in your own classes if you teach it or, or else you can just enjoy it. But that's what you would expect. And sure enough, that's exactly what the graph looks like. Okay, so here's a nice example where if I just put that up there and said, what's the graph of that? I'd have no idea what it'll look like. But as soon as I understand where it came from, aha, now I have a pretty good sense of what it's going to look like. It's, it's kind of cool. Okay, so there's a case where our, our sense of the physical world helped, helped our, our understanding of the mathematics. So now you see what we need to do. We need to find out what's the value of y here, what choice of y is going to make this total time a minimum. We're trying to find out where is this graph a minimum, and the graph is a minimum where the slope of this tangent line is zero. And to find the slope of a tangent line, that's where you need calculus. If you take the derivative of a function, then, um, then that tells you the slope, and then by setting that equal to zero, you can uh, find out where the slope is equal to zero. So, okay. So, um, so let's do it. I'm used to doing this in classrooms where I've got a lot of board space. But uh, as long as you don't mind me erasing as we go, let's do it here. So here's our... And this is the only part that's going to actually require calculus right here. And then, then we'll, we'll apply the results. But... Um, in fact, I'm going to rewrite this as I do it. I'm going to write this as, it's more algebra than anything, as z over r minus uh, y over r. I'm going to write it as minus 1 over r times y. Everyone agreed? Yep. Plus, I'm going to write it as 1 over s times x squared plus y squared to the one-half power. Everyone agree? Yep. So there's the function, and now here's the only place where we're using, someone asked me before, is there calculus here? Here's the only, here's the only time right now when I'm going to do it. We're going to take the derivative, and as I say, the derivative is what gives us the, the slope of the curve. What's the derivative of a constant? Zero. Zero, so that's zero. The derivative of a constant times a variable is just that constant. That's going to be like so. And then you, choose, you do what's called the, what is it? Uh, chain, chain rule is what I call it. Chain rule to bring the 1 half down. It's going to be plus 1 over 2s times the quantity x squared plus y squared to the negative 1 half power. And then you have to multiply by the derivative of the inside, which is what? 
Just 2y. X is a, is a constant. It's just 2y. Everyone see that? There. That's the derivative. Okay? So uh, that, that tells us the, the slope at any point. And now we want to know where will that slope be zero? So now, again, just to save board space, just to save board space, I'm going to, uh, instead of writing it again and saying set it equal to zero, I'm just going to go like this and say this is now equal to zero. I'm going to get rid of that zero. And then again, in order to save board space again, I'm going to just right away bring the negative 1 over r to the other side and write it as a positive 1 over r. All bad uh, blackboard habits, okay? But, um, and then finally, I'm going to uh, get rid of these twos right off the bat, right? They, they cancel out. So there you go. Okay, so that uh, helps out quite a bit. And um, then, I don't like negative exponents at all, so I always rewrite it in order to make them positive. So I'm going to write this as y over s times the square root of x squared plus y squared. I, I, I can just understand that better than a bunch of negative exponents. So there it is. Uh, we need to solve that for y. And again, I'm, I'm going to kind of explain it to you the way I like to explain it to, to uh, students. I say, it's kind of like when I was a kid, I would buy model airplanes and, and model uh, rockets and so on, and they're all these plastic things. They all came connected to a little, uh, little grid where you had to break them off. Anyone yeah. play with model things, right? Uh, my sister, she played with like doll clothes, and so she did the same thing with doll clothes, where you had to break them off. So you basically have to break everything apart, and then once you break everything apart, then you put it back together the way you want it. Okay? And exactly the same thing here. You first try to pull everything apart as much as you can, and then once you pull it all apart, then you put it back the way you want it. So I say, well, let's see, what is it that's kind of pulled together here? I've got this big ugly fraction here. Let's get rid of the fraction by multiplying through by the denominator. And I'm going to go square root of x squared plus y squared. And I'll bring the uh, r over to the other side. That's just a constant. r over s times y. So uh, there I got rid of the denominator. Here, what's the next thing to do to try to break this y up? I heard someone say it. Square both sides, right? This, this uh, square root is connecting things. And again, I'll just give you a little teaching hints as I go. One of the hardest things for students is to know that that's not equal to x plus y. Agreed? All right? And though, I don't know, maybe you have the same trick, but what I always do with them is I just give them a nice example. Say, what's that? That's uh, 9 plus 16 is 25. The square root of 25 we know is 5. If you were to apply that rule, you would get this and, and that, that uh, I'd, like, I, I'd like to say that this works, uh, it, it, you know, you do it to them five times and eventually it starts sinking in. Um, but uh, anyway, that, that's a nice example. Just, just here, sorry, I, I'm a bunch of teachers, I, I just want to, um, when, when students complain about, even though they have the right answer, but you, you still took off points, and how is that, that I had the right answer, but you took off points, I just say, well, if I gave you this problem, and you solved it like this and got the right answer, should I give you the points for it? And that's kind of a nice little thing to have in your, have in your bag of tricks, is to win some arguments. Good, effective teaching is winning arguments, right? It's, it's, impressing, it's, it's, it's uh, impressing students and winning arguments. So, uh, okay, so let's go ahead and 
and square both sides. Like that. And then, okay, now everything is broken up as much as possible. So now that it is, now how do you, you want to rearrange things so you get y all by itself. So what do you do in this, at this point? Yeah, I would subtract the y squared. And then, yes, exactly, factor it out. So you're going to get r squared over s squared. y squared minus y squared. You factor out the y squared, and you get r squared over s squared minus 1. And then you divide through. And so you're going to get y squared is equal to x squared over. Then, at some point, I'm going to do this little critter. I'm going to write this right here. And again, I'm going to write it as r over s quantity squared minus 1 squared. Everyone agree that's what it is? And I write it that way because I want to rewrite this as what times what? R over S minus 1 times R over S plus 1. Everyone agree? Difference of squares. So I'm going to write this as R over S minus 1, I, don't, I can't remember which one I have first, times R over S plus 1, or uh, minus 1. And then, of course, your last step, as you already mentioned, is to take the square root. So you take the square root, and there you have it. Okay? Very nice. It's a great problem. Those of you who are teaching uh, calculus, it's a great problem to give your, your students. Those of you who are teaching pre-calculus or even an advanced algebra course, if you can just have your students believe you that this right here, what I had there, is, is the thing that gave you the slope of the function, then you can still have them do the rest. Just say, here's a, here's, a, here's a problem that requires a bunch of good algebra in order to get the answer. This shows where algebra is needed. Uh, I had a Hope student uh, a couple of years, a number of years, I, I just met him again a year or so ago. He had gone from Hope down to Texas A&M, I believe, in economics uh, for a, a, a PhD in economics. He said the very first day of this class, the professor pulled out this paper and said, I want all of you to read this paper about dogs known calculus, okay? I, I don't know exactly why, except that I'm guessing uh, that professor uh, wanted to show his class this is where calculus can actually be used in a kind of a simple way in the real world to get some understanding. And the calculus and the algebra, all that stuff, it, it all comes into play here. So there it is, right there. Okay, everyone good with that? Okay. So, things to notice. So here's the first question for you. Suppose that uh, I'm standing right here with Elvis, like you saw, and I throw the ball right there to B, and suppose that if I'm right there, that this point D is in fact the optimal spot. Okay, that's the optimal spot for Elvis to go in. So here's my question. How should Elvis's strategy change if instead of standing here, if I back up another, say, 10 or 15 meters, him with me, I still throw the ball to the same spot, but now instead of being here, I'm, I'm here. Question is, should Elvis still jump in at the same spot? Should he go forward a little bit from where he was before, or should he back up the same amount as before, uh, the same amount that I did, or should he back up some proportional distance? I think those are the four options. Okay? Just take a quick vote. How many should just jump in at the same spot? Go forward. Go forward exactly the same amount as I went back. Go forward a proportional distance. Okay, uh, you, unanimous, everyone who, who, who uh, uh, raised their hand raised it for that one. It, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, it's kind of just kind of natural. Um, uh, it's kind of intuitive. 
Um, and at this point, any of my teach students would know I'm setting them up for the kill, okay, as soon as they start using words like that. Uh, I remember once, uh, I think it was with the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, Abraham Lincoln asked his cabinet how many are against it. Six of them raised their hand. He said, how many are for it? He raised his hand. He said, six nays, one eye, the eyes have it. Okay? So uh, sometimes majority doesn't work. Uh, and I guess instead of telling you the answer, I will just tell everyone, you all did it with me. You all did it with me. There is the formula for where Elvis should jump in. Take a close look at it and see if you change your mind. Anything jump out at you there? D is still the same. He's in the same spot. Why is the same? Uh, yeah, there's, there's another letter there that I want you to really pay attention to. Who said it? Who said it? Someone, what did you say? There's no Z in our equation. There is no Z. There is no Z in this equation. Look, you did it with me. Right there. There it is. There is no Z in here. The, the place for Elvis to jump in, what does it depend on? It depends on his running speed. It depends on the swimming speed. It depends on how far I throw the ball into the water. It does not depend on how far away we start. Isn't that interesting? I could start here, 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 or a mile away, and he still goes to the same spot. Isn't that interesting? Really cool. To me, that was the highlight of my whole life with Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I love this to go around to colleges. I, I've given this talk at Notre, at Notre Dame and at uh, Duke University and Boston University and at math conventions all over and at high schools and, and colleges all over the country. And, uh, and the, the, my... my Sermon is the same at all these things. The, the cool thing about this is, and again, you can tell your students this, you can get a great education about life by, say, post-high school, by traveling, by just going out and living on the street, by joining the military, by just getting a job, by, by there's all sorts of things that you'll learn deep, valuable lessons about life just by doing any of those things. The value of a liberal arts education is that you're going to learn things that have been brought up from the greatest minds in history over hundreds and thousands of years and is distilled so that you can learn. And so you're getting that advantage of learning that kind of stuff. And that kind of stuff can liberate you. It can liberate you. I, um, my, the talk that I give next hour is going to be mathematical surprises and, and games. And some of them are things where you're just totally surprised by, by the, the, the truths of, that mathematics shows you. But this would be an example from here. So, so a, a couple of lessons. One is, one is, even though you feel intuitively in your bones what the right answer is, and even though everyone around you feels the same way, it doesn't necessarily mean it's right. And here's a great case where it can be proved to you that, it's, that you're wrong. In most cases, it's, it's not so easy. But here's a case where, uh, by, by understanding the calculus, and so on, you, you see that you're wrong. You see that your intuition is wrong. So really valuable. It's valuable as you go through life to realize that, that you, your intuition might be wrong on things. And it also shows the power of mathematics, that mathematics cuts through all that stuff and can sometimes reveal the right answer to you. 
So uh, it's all life lessons. I mean, it's not just learning about calculus and Elvis here. You're learning life lessons. So uh, good stuff. So anyway, it's independent of Z. Okay, so now you're skeptical. So let's look at these other ones. What happens if he can swim faster than he runs? What would you do if you were right here and you could swim faster than you could run? What would be your strategy? Jump right in, right? Might as well. It's the shortest distance. Agree? Let's see if the mathematics bears that out. If he swims faster than he runs, then this is going to be less than 1. Agree? And so if I subtract 1 from it, what kind of a number will be in here? Negative. You take the square root of a negative number, what do you have? you got trouble, right? You've got an imaginary number. So you're no longer in the world of, of real analysis of, 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 of answers in the real of, of, of answers. And so, if you remember from calculus, if you don't have any critical point, then, then your optimal comes by being at the end point. So there's no place in the middle where it bottoms out, so you're best off then at the, at the end point. So sure, you jump right in. Okay? So your intuition was right on there. What does your intuition say you should do if you can run? This is my notation for much, much faster than you can swim. Okay? You can run much, much faster than you can swim. What would you do? What would you do? Go to sea. Basically, go to sea. You're pretty close to sea anyway, right? Might as well take advantage of your running. Okay? Let's see if the math bears that out. You run really, really fast compared to swimming. So this is a big number. This is a big number. You multiply two big numbers together, and what do you get? Even a bigger number, and then when you divide by a really big number, what do you get? A small number. So sure enough, why it's small? Isn't this nice? I mean, this is all good stuff to show. It just demonstrates all this stuff to your to your students. Okay, and and it also shows the value of not just sticking in numbers there, but actually having the parameters and, and understanding what's going on by by looking at the parameters. So there you go. Finally, how about this one? What if he runs and swims at just about the same speed? Maybe he runs just a tad faster. But uh, almost the same. Then, then what would be your strategy? What's that? X. Uh, what about X? Be, be this X away here? Well, no, I, I don't, don't, look at, don't look at the mathematics. No. I, just, just, I just want you, your intuitive feel. You run and swim at just about the same speed. Okay, I, I heard someone say it before and I ignored you, okay? Because that's the right answer. No, normally in a crowd, I get some person who says, well, you should jump, you should run and swim about the same distance. Was anyone thinking that? Okay, okay. I mean, that, that's one that always comes to mind. But then whenever anyone says, no, you should jump right in, you think, oh, yeah, of course. If you run and swim at the same speed, you might as well go the shortest distance. Agreed? So let's see if the math bears that out. If R and S are about the same size, then this is really close to 1. Subtract 1 from it, and this is going to be close to 0, which makes this whole thing really small, right? When you divide by a really small number, you get a what? A big number. So Y is big. So sure enough, Y is all the way out here. See that? Just... Great way of just, just algebra, right? Just showing how understanding dividing by small numbers gives you big numbers, all that stuff. It, it's all right there. Neat stuff, okay? Finally, just notice that even though it's a complicated looking formula, it really isn't. All we have to do is find Elvis's running and swimming speed, and we can just calculate all this, and we're just going to get y some number times x. So it's just a nice proportional relationship there. So that's what I had to do. So I went to the beach with Elvis, and I brought a friend with me, and we threw Elvis's favorite frisbee back and forth between us, 
and we timed Elvis as he ran back and forth between us, and these were his times, so we took 20 divided by the average to get his average running speed, okay? Then I got in the water with Elvis right here, and we marked two spots on the beach that were 10 meters apart, and I just walked backwards through the water, and I called Elvis to me, and he just came swimming at me as fast as he could, and we did that five times, and we timed as he swam that, that distance and took the average again and got his swimming speed. Okay? Came back to the office, plugged him in. You do that, and you get y is equal to 0.144x, which graphs into a what? Just a straight line, right? Going through the origin. So, kind of cool. This says that this is the optimal choice for Elvis. If I throw the ball 20 meters out into the water, the optimal choice for Elvis would be what? I throw 20 meters out, his optimal choice for Y should be what? Should be about three, agree? Okay, this, again, you can just have fun with students like this, right? <laughs> just kind of see how many of them are. Kinda, does he know that he's leaning, you know? He's old and bald and everything, but you know, as he told me, so, oops, let's see, there we go. So, um, so anyway, about three, right? Uh, 14, and you get about two and so on. So those are the optimal choices. Okay. So once I did that, then um, I wanted to see how close Elvis came to those optimal choices. So I went back to the beach with him, and uh, I was by myself. It was kind of this time of year. It's kind of mid-October, late September maybe. And uh, I brought along a uh, big tape measure, a stake, a Phillip, big screw, Phillips screwdriver, and a tennis ball. And I staked, uh, I put the stake right at the water's edge, right here, on a nice flat stretch of beach, kind of like what you saw in the video. And then I practiced throwing the ball so that the ball would lie somewhere along that line, perpendicular to the beach. Now, of course, I never got it exactly, but I took that into account when I took my measurements. Once I got good at it, I brought Elvis over next to me, and he was twirling around as you saw him. And so I had the... The ball in one hand and the big Phillips screwdriver in the other hand, and he's twirling, and I threw the ball out. He went chasing after the ball the way you saw it, and I went chasing after Elvis with this big Phillips screwdriver. Okay? There are people at the beach who are you know, asking, why are you chasing your dog with a Phillips screwdriver? Because I'm doing a math, I'm doing a math experiment. So uh, at, at, at the point where he jumped into the water, I plunged the screwdriver down into the sand right there. Okay, so it's in the sand. And he's swimming out to get the ball, just like you saw him. I, before he gets there, though, I quick run and grab the free end of the tape measure, and I hustle out through the water, somewhat to his shame, uh, and hustle out to the water and get there before he does. And I give him the ball. He brought it back. But I take the measurement of X, and then when I come back, then I take the measurement of Y, and I write him down. We did it again. Okay, we did it about 35 times. Okay, we just beautiful afternoon. <laughs> That was our, that was my math for the day. Okay? So, oops, let's see. I don't know why that's a little bit dark, but you can see it, I guess. There's Elvis. Um, and so there's, there's the, um, there's the uh, um, data. And so then I came back to my office and uh, plotted all the points. So here's all the points. When are we done, Ben? In 15 minutes?
Yeah. Okay. So here's one point where it was 18 and his choice was 2 and so on. And then the question is, how close are all of these to that red line, right, which were the optimal? And it turns out pretty close. Okay? So what's a typical one? Like maybe this far away is about a, little, about a third of a meter, about a foot. So he, he was within about this much of the, of the optimal most every time he did it. Okay? So pretty cool. If he's here with me, then I kind of go into why is it that you have a four? It gets it's a nice stats experiment. This is the smooth. How many in here teach stats? Some of you. Okay, this is the smooth. This is the rough. Sometimes you learn lessons from the rough. Uh, for Elvis, um, uh, the fact that when I threw the ball way out there, he jumped in. He should have jumped in early, but he jumped in even earlier than he normally should have, and it's maybe because he kind of lost sight of the ball, right? I mean, his legs are only this tall. So curvature of the earth being what it is, um, he, um, he did the best he could. So anyway, there it is. And uh, so that, that was the result. Again, this is a great example to show your students or to talk about, about with them because... It, it shows the connection between the real world and mathematics. Whenever I explain to them, if you want to calculate how, how long it's going to take this thing to hit the floor, what's the main force you have to take into account? Gravity, right? And I could drop it from here up there. It's probably pretty good. If I were to drop this thing from up there, then what other force would you probably need to take into account as well? Air resistance, Air resistance right? It, it's a question of how accurate you want to be with your model. And so whenever you model anything with, with mathematics, whenever you use mathematics to model something, you always have to be really clear in your mind, what are your simplifying assumptions? What are the simplifying things that you're assuming in order to, to do the mathematics? So having seen Elvis and, and listened to the experiment, what are some of the things that come to your mind that, that were our simplifying assumptions that we made in, in doing this experiment? The same, well, the same energy level same energy level, right? His running and swimming speed don't change, right? Or if they change, they change proportionally. I, I took the measurements one day, we came back another day. We did it over a period of a couple hours, all those things could have changed. Yep, very good. So I'm assuming R and S are constant. What are some other ones? The water conditions. What about the water conditions? Well, that they would be calm or, you know, not like a large... All sorts of things. If you had waves, if you had waves, the wave could move the ball in, right? Yeah. A little bit. Um, I am also assuming a nice straight line between the beach and the sand, right? Whereas the water is lapping back and forth, agreed? So I have to kind of choose, what is that line? Good, what are some other ones? Any others come to mind? I'm assuming it's a nice straight line like this, right? And then he turns a sharp corner, as you saw, and he kind of went vroom like this instead. So that's, that's a little bit of an assumption. What am I assuming Elvis does as soon as he jumps in the water? Swimming. Start swimming, right? Now, with legs this long, he didn't have much choice, right? If you were, if you were talking about a, a black lab, then you would have quite a bit, it would be quite a bit uh, messier, right? You'd have to worry about his leaping through the water a little bit, right? Elvis had no choice but to jump pretty quickly. So, yeah, all good, all good examples of, of where he was, uh, where we're making some simplifying assumptions. Very good. Whoops. There you go. Yeah, I think we got all those. Okay. Final points. First of all, does Elvis know calculus? Now, again, this is one of my favorite parts of the talk when I had Elvis with me. Um, where did my eraser go? Here it is. Um, 
here's what I would always do. And all I can do now is to explain it to you and let you picture it. I'd put Elvis up on a table right here in the front. And I'd get back in the back of the room. And I'd say, okay, now you watch Elvis's eyes and his ears as I ask him the derivative of x cubed. Okay, what is the derivative of x cubed? 3x squared, for those who remember your calculus, okay? So I never let anyone say that. I would just say, you, you, you watch it as I ask him the derivative of x cubed. So he's right here, I'm in the back. I say, watch his eyes and his ears. And I say, Elvis, what's the derivative of x cubed? What's the derivative of x cubed? looking at me, and I'd say, there, look at his eyes, look at his ears, see his ears? He's not doing a thing. He never does a thing. He just sits there every time, and then they kind of laugh as if, what was I expecting? <laughs> so, so the point is, he'd always just sit there, and I'd explain, I erased it too soon, I guess, but I'd say, I don't, if he doesn't know the derivative of x cubed, and I have no reason to think that he does, I'm very sure that he didn't do this stuff in his head, which is really what makes it rather amazing. He somehow instinctively knew how to jump in at the right point. And this is, again, there's just cool life lessons, lessons about everything here. And I say, hey, what's, what's going on here? What's going on? Well, more than likely what's going on is that Elvis's ancestors, wolves of some sort, uh, out in the wild, whatever the case may be, uh, they saw some carcass of a deer, something or another out on the other side of a river or out in the snow or whatever and you had all these wolves that were all running for it and the wolf that made the best judgment about how to get there was the wolf that got there first was the wolf that ate the most was the wolf that lived was the wolf that passed on his or her genes and so nature just selects for for uh, uh, animals that, that, that can optimize and there I can use the word nature selects, natural selection, and never have to use the dirty E word, but I, I get the point across that, uh, that there's just this natural sense in which, which uh, life, life uh, evolves or changes and so on, and, and a lot of it is just the pressure of, of, um, of the environment we live in. And so there's just one example. Uh, there's all sorts of examples in nature. If, if you're, any of you teach physics, you know that if you take light, and you shine light through a pane of glass, what does it do? It, ref it refracts, bends, and then it bends back again when it comes out. And what that light is trying to do is it's trying to get from here to here in the shortest amount of time, just like Elvis. And it knows it's going it to it's gonna get there faster by taking this route than by taking this route because it goes slower through glass than it does through the air. So this is the fastest route. So it's just another example of, of nature optimizing. If you... I don't know if you've ever seen this. I've been in math conferences where they take a big tub of soap solution and they take a bunch of wires or hangers and dip them down into it and you get a big soap bubble of various configurations all clinging onto this hanger. If you blow a soap bubble, what shape does it normally take? A sphere. It's trying to, it's trying to minimize, it has to encapsulate that volume, but it's trying to minimize the amount of, of surface area. It's doing a calculus problem. It's called calculus variations. It's something I didn't learn about until my second year of grad school. Okay, you dip that down in there, and you get a whole bunch of interconnected uh, uh, planes and so on. Very, very tough math problem, but the, the soap solution is doing it automatically. Okay, kind of cool. Um, I, I guess that, that like birds of prey that live out on the coasts, 
they've learned that if you grab a grab a, uh, a shellfish of some short sort and drop it onto the sidewalk, then it cracks, and then they can eat the insides, eat the animal. And they've learned to fly to the optimal height. If they are too low when they drop it, what's the problem? Won't crack. Won't crack. They go too high, and they just wasted their energy. So they, they find the optimal height. Spider webs, all sorts of things. Where where oh leaves. How does a leaf? What's the optimal way for a leaf to provide water and nutrients to a, to a whole surface? And you use a, a computer to, um, to look at all the possibilities, and this is what you get. You get something like a normal leaf. And the only leaf that doesn't have that pattern that I know of is the, uh, I don't know how to spell it, ginkgo. Is it G-I-N-K-O? Or is there an H in there? I can't remember. But it has a kind of a strange configuration. But that's really one of the most, as I understand this, one of the most primitive of plants. And so that ginkgo never quite learned through the whole process of, of change and such uh, to, to get a better configuration. Okay? Lots of cool stuff. You can do the same thing for a dog in the snow. The only problem is uh, a sidewalk with the snow uh, that once Elvis uh, made a path through the snow, they always want to use that same path again, right? But that was kind of fun. You can also do it with people, okay? When I was at Hope College, I grabbed uh, the science camp, little third grader, I forgot what they were, they are about eight-year-olds, asked if I could borrow them for an hour, and I, I took them out into the, into the central campus area where it's all grassy with the sidewalk going through, and for each of these kids, I took their crawling speed and their running speed, and then I... Um, I put them on the sidewalk right here, and I put a Snickers bar right there, and I said, on the sidewalk, you can run. As soon as you get on the grass, you have to crawl. And then for each one of them, they you know, got the Snickers bar as fast as they could, and they all basically took the same sort of path as Elvis. Okay, I, when I give this at colleges and universities, I say I wanted to try it with the football players and so on by throwing six packs out in the water, but uh, I was afraid that the, the results would kind of go downhill over time, so, uh, so uh, that sort of thing. Now, let's see, I've got some pictures. Uh, ben, can you kill the lights for this? And, and if possible, just kill them once. They don't, they don't, <laughs> there, okay, don't touch it now. Let's see what's going on. There, there, um, there's the original article. Then they wanted uh, a little follow-up article, so there's another one. Uh, I won't do all this stuff, but I wrote this from El Elvis. wrote this. Hi, I'm Elvis. I got my name because it's a nursing puppy. I gyrated my back legs back and forth like my namesake, uh, so on. So he, he says, I knew I was destined for fame, but when I went to live with mathematics professor Tim Pennings two years ago, I could see my opportunities were limited. Nice guy, but not star quality, if you know what I mean. And one day saw it. So anyway, that was fun. Um, here's I'm going to give you any, uh, give you a copy of this, so you can have this. They they sent this out to uh, you know uh, twenty five thousand or however many all around the country um, with Elvis's picture on it. Um, there he is studying probability and statistics. He he, he he used to study for about an hour a day. He he liked the pictures the most. Uh, had troubles with some of the words. Uh, this was on the front page of the Holland Sentinel. Uh, my dad showed that to a, a friend of his, to which his friend said, Yes, I saw it. What an intelligent-looking dog. <laughs> so, my father was pleased for that, at least. Uh, this is Boston Globe. There's uh, ABC News. Uh, there's me with Elvis. This, this used to be in a whole bunch of 
the story used to be in a lot of uh, high school and, and grade school of books and so on. Uh, there's math. Uh, to dogs no calculus. So yeah, there were about five years there where it just this really was in BBC, NPR, ABC, various things. If you just put Google, uh, just Google Elvis Corgi and calculus, you'll you'll get all sorts of sites and still come up. Uh, the Corgi Crier. I don't know. Probably some of you subscribe to the Corgi Crier. <laughs> uh, love, love his pet. Uh, the math insta Oh, here he is, Keith, Keith Devlin. There's the guy, Keith Devlin. So his his uh, second chapter was the dog and the calculus. Uh, who knows a famous person who has corgis? The queen. The queen, yeah. I'll talk about her in a second. Here's, what does that aruka mean? Anyone know? I guess it means crazy. A book of crazy experiments. So there's 700 years of them. And then I wrote a letter to the queen. I, I gave her two copies. I signed one for her, and I asked her if she'd be so kind to sign one for me. And uh, a month later, I get back uh, a package from Buckingham Palace, uh, and I open it up, and there's a, a journal in it. I'm all excited. And then I read this, Dear Mr. Pennings, the Queen wishes me to write. Thank you for your letter. Her Majesty was most interested to hear about your Corgi Elvis, and so on. I'm afraid, however, it's not possible for the Queen to sign a copy. As you'll appreciate, many similar requests were received, and the Queen's made it a rule only to give her autograph to people personally known to her. I don't have that rule myself, so I didn't mind signing one for Her Majesty. Uh, but anyway, they returned it unsigned, and I kept it anyway. I figure it's kind of my claim to fame. How many people have been spurned by the Queen of England? Rejected by Her Majesty, so there you go. And uh, there's Elvis with some of his favorite things. And I always have the last word. So, there you go. That's awesome. Um, didn't leave much time for questions. Do you have any? We still, I guess we got like five minutes. Any any questions? Uh, there, there, if, if we would have had another ten minutes, I would have gone on and talked about the second paper, Do Dogs Know Bifurcations, where he starts in the water and comes into the beach and then goes back out into the water. That's, that's cool stuff, too. So there's a lot on, on the web if you want to find it. But anyway, grab, grab uh, one or even two of these if you want on the way out. So there's, there's the whole thing, and uh, that should do you.